Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I wanted to talk some NBA. Of course, Knicks in heat. And Frank, I got to be honest with you as we welcome in Frank Isola, who you could find every Frank and I used to work together at SMY. I read Frank for years at the Daily News, covering the Knicks, read his book, Just Ballin', one of the first books I ever read. I loved it, but he's now on uh, Around the Horn and PTI and does a show every day on Sirius XM NBA radio called The Starting Lineup. He does the net stuff. I mean, dude, you are incredibly busy, but I must say, the first person I asked, Frank, Taylor Rooks. <laughs> She didn't get back More. to me. She didn't get back to me. So here we are with Frank. No, I appreciate you taking the time, and it's been too long, man. Where were you, where have you been, Frank? You're too busy with uh, all these you, jobs. You know, I love how you said the first hour went really fast. It's as if you're warning your audience it's about to drag, folks. <laughs> Frank's coming on. Sit we, tight. It's about to get real slow right now. <laughs> we've hit a screeching halt bringing in Frank guys. No, dude, come on. I love reminiscing. You know, I, truth be told, I've said this over the last 20 years, the Knicks fan in me, and I grew up a diehard 90s Knicks fan, lived and breathed with every one of those possessions back in the day, loved Riley, loved Van Gundy even more after him. I I get nostalgic about this. I, I haven't cared as much about the Knicks in so long because they've been so bad. But Nick's heat, Frank, brings me back. Does it do anything for you? I know your boy Tibbs is there, and I know you lived it too, covering those teams in the 90s. Does the Knicks heat series give you that nostalgic feel? It does more than it did when they played, what was that, nine, ten years ago. You know, Even though uh, you know, it still was Nick's heat, it feels a little different just because, A, the, you know, the Knicks weren't going to beat that LeBron team with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, but – you know, you have Tom Thibodeau, who was a Jeff Van Gundy assistant. You have Eric Spolster, was on the staff under Pat Riley. The fact that the Knicks are uh, seated higher than Miami, it's the first time that the Knicks have ever played them in the playoffs, where the Knicks have had home court advantage. The way that, you know, both teams play, they're both pretty gritty. The idea, you know, look, look at the way Miami played in game two without Jimmy Butler and without Tyler Hero. Definitely, this feels more like those great, um, game, you know, playoff series that they had starting in 97. I was lucky enough. To be at all those games and to sit courtside, it was it was probably the best time I've ever had covering the Knicks, just because it was it was so much fun and just the history, the hatred, the connections. Jeff Van Gundy, Pat Riley, Alonzo Mourning, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, Alonzo Mourning, Tim Hardaway going after the entire Knicks starting backcourt. <laughs> it, it was just a blast. Yeah, and you're right. I totally forgot about, even though it came up last week, that last Knicks Heat series, you know, with Melo, and I'll get to him in a second, but I, I didn't get the feel back then. There is a different kind of connection 
with this team. I don't know if it's because most of it is, well, I shouldn't say most of it is homegrown, but a lot of their players that they drafted have turned into at least somewhat of you know impact players here. Obviously, bringing in Brunson, where there's connections with his father, who was an old time Nick. Uh, I don't know, but there's a different connection. Maybe it is Tibbs and the fact that he's a you know coaching tree of Van Gundy. So maybe it is that I feel a different connection to this team and certainly this series than I did the last time or even that last Knicks playoff team that had that you know three straight years in the postseason. Yeah, and I think too. You know, the, the one thing about you know those, especially those Nick teams from the '90s. And it's the same thing that happened this year. You know, everyone wants to see them play at home. You get the New York fans. And apparently, from I'm, I'm assuming a lot of celebrities go to the games, I think, after every single basket, the camera goes, you know, turns to uh, some celebrity in the crowd. But when they went on the road, it's just different. You know, when they went, you know, all those, uh, the last three times they played Miami in the 90s, 98, 99, and 2000, they won the last game on the road. And then when they played Cleveland this year, they won game one on the road. They went there and won game five. There's something about when a team, wins on the road it just feels like they have a, a toughness about them the right kind of mentality and you know the, the Knicks never gave Cleveland a chance and if you look at the roster you know, they had the best player in the series they had Donovan Mitchell and the Knicks completely shut him down I think that's kind of a tribute Tom Thibodeau and obviously the players remember when Tom was an assistant coach in Boston and he knew Kobe Bryant really well when they met in the finals two times the first time uh, you know, Boston got him, and they did a really good job on Kobe Bryant. They actually did a pretty decent job on him the second time around, but Kobe had that great uh, fourth quarter in Game 7, which ended up winning it for the Lakers. How about this Knicks team, Frank, in this series in particular here? Yeah, I, I, people are giving them a chance. Yeah, look, Knicks fans get way ahead of themselves, of course. They're talking about the finals or, you know, getting through uh, this round already and getting to the Eastern Conference finals. It's crazy. I understand that, you know, this is not Milwaukee, but they're still a very well-coached, very difficult team here. Do you like this matchup for the Knicks in this series with the Heat? Oh, absolutely, especially with Tyler Hero out. We don't know what Jimmy Butler is going to be like on Saturday. I would expect that he would be okay but the other thing, too, is, you know, the only things that would concern me about the Knicks, you know, Julius Randle is dealing with that ankle injury, and they keep talking about, you know, Jalen Brunson being somewhat limited in practice. Something tells me he's a little bit more hurt than they're leading on, and I think he's probably a lot more hurt than he's leading on. He's just not that kind of guy. He's not going to use injuries as an excuse. And to his credit, you know, when you look, you know, the way that what happened in game one, he put it on himself and said that I got to be better. And guess what? In the second half of game two, he was better. That's why he's such you know he's such a likable player. You know when he was at Villanova, mm. all he did was win. You know he's got great leadership qualities. Remember last year when they played Utah in the first round, and you know Luca wasn't available. Wasn't it the first two games? And they took game one from Utah. He was on you know he was on the team that knocked off Phoenix in the second round. You know heavily favored Phoenix Suns. So Brunson has been a winner. I, I think the Knicks really do have a good chance. I think, you know, as, as long as the series comes back to New York, at the very least at 2-2, I, I think the Knicks will be in a good position. What do you think of R.J. Barrett? He's been an impactful player really since Randall went down in the postseason in the Cleveland series, and he's continued it here. He drives me nuts. He cannot shoot the basketball with any consistency. I mean, I've watched basketball all my life. He's just not a good shooter, whether it be at the free throw line or from beyond the arc. He was that in game two, which they desperately needed. What do you think, Frank, of R.J. Barrett as a player? You know, he, he's he's certainly inconsistent. And I think, you know, coming out of Duke, when you heard a lot of NBA people say, you know, he's not a big-time athlete. Like, he doesn't get great separation on drives. He's not a good shooter. But the thing is, he does put the work in. So he is trying to get better. And I think, you know, when you look at the way that he played, 
in those first couple of games in Cleveland, and people were talking about, well, he might be unplayable in this series. Well, he bounced back and really has played well since then. You know, if you're getting open threes, you, you got to take them. You'd like to see him attack the basket a little bit more, but they're going to play him. I don't think there's any question about it. I like the mental toughness, the fact that he didn't play well those first two games in Cleveland. He knows what was being said about him. And he responded and, and played really well the rest of the series. How about just the Knicks, Frank? We're talking with Frank Isola of ESPN. You watch him on Around the Horn, PTI, also hosts a uh, radio show, NBA Radio, on Sirius XM, the starting lineup Monday through Friday. You can see him on the Yes broadcast during the Nets games, the Nets post games all year long when the Nets are back. Um, how about the Knicks here uh, overall where you look at their inability to shoot? Miami is clearly a three-point shooting team. That is what they do. Ball movement on the perimeter, try to knock down threes. The Knicks cannot match that. Do you think the Knicks have enough shooting-wise? I mean, Quickly's been disappointing. We talk about RJ. It's nice to have Julius back. You know, Brunson could be that guy. The Knicks' clear weakness, though, is shooting the three. Do you think that's going to eventually catch up with them, either this series or potentially next round? Yeah, yeah I, I think it, I think it uh, certainly can. And, I, you know, you go back to game one when they had the 12-point lead and they were attacking the basket. Well, Eric Spolstra made it so, you know, he was going to force the Knicks to try to make outside shots to beat them and try to make three-point shots. That, that's their defensive strategy. And the one thing about the Miami Heat, they're a very well-organized team, and they made things really difficult for the Knicks in game one, certainly in that second half. It'll be an issue, and I think that's why over the summer, you know, I get it. The Knicks knocked off uh, Donovan Mitchell in the first round, but, man, if they could have gotten Donovan Mitchell, and you have a backcourt of Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson, think about how dynamic that would be. And that, that's no knock on any of the other Knicks, but you're talking about a guy that's probably going to be an all-NBA player. The Knicks were real, real close to getting him. That's when, you know, players like that don't come around very often, and when you get him, it's great for Cleveland. They won 51 games. The Knicks nearly got him. Think about what the impact that he could have had. Hey, the Knicks were better than Cleveland right. without Donovan Mitchell. You put him on that team, and I understand you'd have kind of an undersized backcourt, but, you know, the, the Knicks, you know, with Mitchell Robinson, they would have enough perimeter uh, defense be able to survive with those with that uh, backcourt of Mitchell and Brunson. Do you know what happened there specifically? Not that we need to rehash it, but I feel like I've never gotten clarity, and maybe you could help with this with more information, of what exactly was the holdup. Because I can't imagine it was draft picks. I can't imagine it was R.J. Barrett. I mean, what was it? Was it that they wanted Toppin and quickly or Grimes? Like, why didn't the deal go through when it seemed like both parties, Mitchell and the Knicks, wanted it to happen? Yeah, and, you, you know, in the case like this, though, it's not so much about Donovan Mitchell and the Knicks. It's also about the Utah Jazz. So in this, it's almost as if it takes three to tango. It's always, to me, it's never just one certain thing. And I think if you talk to enough people, first of all, did the Knicks really think that Cleveland was going to make a serious offer? I think Cleveland kind of was, uh, you know, played it low key and they kind of came out of nowhere to make the deal. So maybe the Knicks didn't offer as much as Cleveland did. Maybe the Knicks didn't feel that an offer from Cleveland was legitimate and maybe they didn't want to step up to the table. But, you know, Brian Scalabrini, my uh, radio partner in the morning, and he knows Danny Ainge really well. He said that Danny Ainge really liked Laurie Markin a lot. Hmm. So, if the, you know, if you get it. It's going to be draft picks are the key that you're going to get back. But if it's going to be R.J. Barrett or Laurie Markin, and Brian was convinced that Danny Ainge would rather have Laurie Markin. And to be fair, Markin became an all-star this year. He also ended up being the most improved player in the league. He won that award. So Danny Ainge, one thing I always say this about Danny Ainge, if I were a team and Danny, if I'm a GM 
And then my secretary says, Danny Ainge is on the phone. I'd hang up the phone. Because like, all Danny Ainge seems to do is win all these trades. And I get it. He did trade. Donovan Mitchell was a terrific player. But think about the deal that he made with the Utah Jazz. So, yeah, maybe the Knicks could have offered more. But it's still Danny Ainge making a deal. And he's a Celtic guy. Is Danny Ainge thinking, what can I do to help out the New York Knicks? I'm yeah. not so sure he was thinking along those lines. Yeah, screw Danny Ainge. How about Leon Rose, Frank? I know we've been ripping, uh, you know, we, we talked about this for years, what the instability, the ineptitude of the Garden and the front office, you know, doling on down. I feel like Leon Rose has done a really nice job here. Now, look, uh, Donnie Walsh did a decent job, and then there were issues, and he was out. So who knows how this is going to play out here. What do you think overall of Leon Rose and the job that he's done with the Knicks? You know, it's funny you mentioned Donnie Walsh because I was looking at how many games Mike D'Antoni coached. And Mike D'Antoni lasted a long time in New York, and a lot of that had to do with he had the backing of Donnie Walsh, who I'm sure was serving as a buffer, you know, between the head coach and the owner, Jim Dolan. And I think, you know, Leon and Tom have been friends for a long time. And I think, you know, Leon wanted Tom to be the coach. Maybe nobody else at that point would have hired Tom. I think it's crazy when you think about the success that he's had. But I think it's so important when the coach and the GM are on the same page and they both understand what the job is. And, you know, first of all, Leon used to be Tom's agent or, you know, worked for the same company that had Tom. So they have that relationship there, but they've known each other a really long time. And I think that was probably the smartest thing that Leon did hiring a coach that you have a lot of faith. in. I know sometimes Nick fans, you know, get upset at some of the stuff that Tom does, but come on, you know, where was Julius Randle before he came to the Knicks? He wasn't an all-star. If you go back to Tom's, you know, in Chicago and in um, Minnesota, guys became first-time All-Stars with Tom coaching. He's a really good development coach. And this idea, all oh, the young players, young players, the Knicks' entire roster is essentially young. You know, quickly was in, you know, six-man of the year. Give the front office credit for drafting him. Give the coaching staff a lot of credit for developing a lot of the players. But I think, to make a, a long story short, it's the fact that Leon and Tom – or, you know, lock and step, they're attached at the hip. I think that really helps, you know, with that stability that you talk about. You think that's then just Leon having Dolan's ear, or does Dolan deserve credit to leave him alone? Because you remember, Frank, the Knicks this year, the way they started, there was talks about, here we go again, they're going to fire the head coach and go yep. looking for another coach. But to their credit, they stuck with it, and look what's happened now. They're in, they're in the second round, three wins away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, and I'm not saying every every coach should have a lifetime job, but when you do look, you know, these organizations that have stability, and, you know, for the longest time, you know, Mark Cuban stuck with, um, you know, Rick Carlisle, and then it was obviously San Antonio's had Popovich there forever. But Miami, since Pat Riley got to Miami, he's had three coaches himself, Stan Van Gundy, then Pat Riley ended up taking over again, and then Eric Spolstra. And I think that stability is important. Tom knows what he's, you know, the, the thing about Tom, and I understand, you know, sometimes fans get frustrated. You know, all Tom's going to do is watch film and try to prepare and worry and try to make the Knicks better. All he's thinking about is a championship. And, you know, the guys that Tom is close to in other sports, Tony La Russa, he's very close with Bill Belichick, they're kind of the same way. They're just about trying to make their team better. And, you know, the one thing about players, and players know good coaches, if players are around good coaches and they're winning, you know what happens, Sal? They all get paid. Right. And now, you know, you, you go run into Joe Kim Noah, and he told Brian Scalabrini, he's like, man, he goes, Tom really would get on me a lot. But I became such a better player because of him, and Joe Kim Noah made a lot of money. Taj Gibson, I, I talked to him in October down in Washington, 
And he said, man, he goes, Tom would get on me so much when I first was in the league. I actually cried one time <laughs> after practice. I, could, I just couldn't believe how hard he was on me. He says, but over time I realized all he was trying to do was do what was best for me to try, try to improve me as a player. Tom doesn't have an ego. And Tom is, I'll say this, he's incredibly selfish. He wants to win. And he's going to do whatever it takes to win. So if certain guys aren't playing, they're only not playing because he doesn't believe they can't help him win. Now, was he in under Was he under Riley as well? I know, obviously, he was a disciple of Van Gundy who, who was under Riley. Was Tibbs on Riley's staffs initially, Frank? No, he was. You know, Tom had bounced around it. Like, he spent a lot of time with when John Lucas became the coach in uh, San Antonio for a minute. He was with John Lucas, and he and John Lucas have remained uh, very close. John Lucas is a, an absolute piece of work. He's a great guy. <laughs> but that staff was, you know, John Lucas was on the staff, and so was Ron Adams, who for the longest time was always voted best assistant coach in the league. He still has a role uh, with the Golden State Warriors, Ron Adams does, but it's not like as a like the lead assistant anymore. But Ron Adams has always kind of been like a confidant to Tom, and Ron was Tom's lead assistant in Boston. but. If you talk to Tom about Pat Riley, that's like the guy. He talks about Pat Riley as like, you know, the ultimate coach in the NBA. But but Jeff, but Tom's guy in terms of like mentor is Jeff. Now, that's so who, so Jeff brought him in, Jeff brought him in after San Antonio on his staff when Jeff took over? Yeah, exactly. He had been but Tom had been in Philadelphia for a minute and that's where he struck up the relationship with Kobe Bryant cuz Kobe uh, was in high school and he would come to the Sixer practices. And he would practice with the, you know, after like the practice would break up and if guys wanted to play full court, Kobe would join in the game. And then, you know, Tom would work with Kobe. He just knew that, oh, the guy, he's supposed to be a pretty good player. Tom didn't know that Kobe Bryant was going to become this great. Mm. And, you know, Kobe always talks about how much Tom helped his development as a high school player showing up at six of practices. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy just, you know, what a small world it is. And then years later, they were, you know, Tom was trying to beat Kobe in NBA Finals. <laughs> he got him once with Boston, and Kobe got Tom once with when the Lakers beat Boston. Yeah, man, crazy. I, I love that. But I just love the disciple stuff. You know, Riley, obviously, with, with Van Gundy under him, and then Tibbs with Van Gundy. I wanted Jeff to get the Knicks job, uh, but the next best thing to me was Tibbs, and obviously it's paid off here. Last one for you, Frank. I've been talking about this, and I don't know if you saw this or went to any of these games. I was at game one where Ewing was there, and they showed him, and you mentioned it, celebrities. They're showing a billion celebrities every five seconds at the Garden. But come on, Patrick Ewing, they show a little highlight video. The place goes nuts. Then on Tuesday, they do the same thing with Carmelo, and I wasn't there, but I felt like it was either equivalent or even more than Ewing, and I, I took offense to that. Like, this idea that Carmelo <laughs> is a Knicks legend is bull bleep, and it drives me up a wall. Like I would pair Car- compare Carmelo more so to Stephon Marbury, like a great individual talent that really didn't do much as a team. Come on, to Patrick Ewing, Frank, you can't compare Melo well, to that. Well, a it means that we're getting older because a lot of the younger fans probably don't, you know, remember Patrick. His last year with the Knicks was in 2000 when they went to the conference finals. So think about it; he's been. You know, he last played for the Knicks 23 years ago. It's almost hard to believe. I would say this about Carmelo, and I love covering Carmelo was a really good guy to deal with. And, you know, they, they did win, what was it, the 56 games that one year? 54, and I, I think, they, yeah. Yeah, and I think they had, you know, that was the year where they blew it was against Indiana. Yeah. I believe that year they might have beaten Miami three times in the regular season. Now, I think if push comes to shove, I figure LeBron will probably figure out a way to beat them in the conference finals. But that's when they lost to Indiana in the second round. And Carmelo that year, 
to be fair, he did finish third in the MVP voting. So he did, you know, he had a good run. I get what you're saying. You, it's not comparable to what Patrick did. Look how many playoff games Patrick played. And, you know, the Knicks made the finals twice. They made the conference finals a bunch of times. I mean, Mello's there. I think that's more of an example of a younger, younger crowd. Mello, Frank. Mello's at the Garden on Tuesday. And, look, you're right. Like, Mello seems like a good dude, and I'd love to hang out with him. So I'm not trying to knock him. But he takes bows at the Garden on Tuesday for a 54-win <laughs> season that they won a first-round series, which Ewing did in his freaking sleep. I mean, that was an automatic <laughs> first round. If Ewing didn't win the first round, I was like, what the hell? Like, that never happened. So I And well, plus, Ewing gave Ewing was a star player that gave every ounce of his being to will this team to win. That was not, I didn't get that same feel from Carmelo, who at times cared more about the All-Star game than he did about the Knicks. Well, you know, it's funny, in this like era of load management, there's that famous game, I believe it was uh, 97, where the Knicks, you know, the Knicks always used to play the Bulls on Selection Sunday. they play them late in March. It would be like at 6 o'clock at night on NBC. And there was a game late in the first half where Patrick stole the ball and then uh, Dennis Rodman undercut him when he went up for the layup. And Patrick's knee was messed up the rest of the year, and he never practiced with the team. Now, we found out about this, like, in playoff time. I guess we weren't doing a good job reporting. We couldn't find out that Patrick wasn't practicing, but never missed a game. But would miss practice, and that was like a big – like, that was a big deal. Jeff Van Gundy talked about how much it bothered Patrick that he couldn't practice because by not practicing, it, it kind of threw off his rhythm. But he never missed a game. I mean, you want to talk about a warrior. That's the kind of guy he is. And it's funny that, you know, you think about the standard that he was held to. And I love Giannis instead of Kumpo. But when Giannis was asked about failure, which I thought was a completely fair question, you know, Giannis in that game missed 13 free throws and he committed seven turnovers. And his team blew a 16-point lead in an elimination game at home. Could you imagine Patrick Ewing missing 13 free throws? Uh, com- committing seven turnovers and his team blowing a 16-point lead as the number one seed in the first round. Like I, 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 I said to Jeff Vigney, I said, Jeff, if that happened to Patrick, they, people in New York would not let him back into the city. Like, yeah. That's how different yeah, things right. are now. Right, and yet Giannis is an NBA championship and Ewing isn't, which is just a shame right. in itself. I'm not trying to take away from others, but and you're right, maybe it is just being old or getting older. But still, it was. I always felt it was disrespectful, even with Tyson Chandler, who in that series against the Pacers got chewed up and spit out by Roy freaking Hibbert. Like they would, <laughs> they would compare Mello and Chandler to the '90s Knicks, and I'm like, no, nah, you guys are missing different. it. Oh my god! Which one? Nah, it's, 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 and it wasn't just one year, and that's. And remember too, you know, when Patrick got hurt, it was like December 22nd of '97. When the Andrew Lang play in Milwaukee, he yeah. broke his wrist, and that's when you know they had to change everything up, and they put uh, Charles Oakley as the starting center, and the Knicks ended up as the seventh seed, and that's when they went down to Miami and won a game five. So here's the Knicks on the road, winning a playoff series without Patrick Ewing because he was he was unable to play, uh, you know, like the last what would it be, the last fifty games of the season, last sixty games of the season, and was unavailable in the first round. I, you know, we always used to tease Oakley about. It. We would say. You know, you should be paid like the starting center on the Knicks. You're, you're a power forward and you're, you know, you're still winning with you. And, you know, Charles would mumble and he would say something funny. So that was, that was a fun year as well that year that they won, that they beat Miami in the first round. Oh, God, man. I I missed those days. And even the year that they made it to the finals, the most recent year as an eight seed, you know, they, they didn't miss Ewing. Well, they had Ewing, I think, early on there. 
Um, but they yeah. need, they needed him for the finals. I mean, that's when they needed him against Duncan and Robinson in particular against the Spurs. But he was out, and you know, again, they made the finals kind of without him. But still, it would have helped to probably have him. Not that they would have won that, but they they couldn't win it without him. Put it that way, and they didn't. Obviously, now, in game one. So remember, Larry Johnson hurt his knee in game six against Indiana. That was the game, the closeout game where Allen Houston had the huge second half. So I think Larry might have gone to the hospital and they did, you know, and he had like a knee issue. And then I don't, I'm pretty sure he didn't play game one of the NBA finals, but, uh, you know, Patrick was unavailable. I, you know, because of foul trouble, I'll never forget this. The Knicks finished the first half of game one in San Antonio. They, the Spurs had Duncan and Robinson. The Knicks had Herb Williams and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Dudley. What was that? Uh, Chris, Chris, Chris Dudley. Chris Dudley. Yeah. That, so it was, it was Chris Dudley and Herb Williams and Duncan and Robinson <laughs> to end the first half. I remember thinking the Knicks could be a little bit of trouble in this series. Right. They didn't miss him before because they were high-flying with Sprewell and Canby right through the Hawks, uh, through the Pacers, you mentioned it. But they, I knew they needed Ewing uh, in that final. Anyway, I mean, it is, you know, Frank, it's incredible to think back. And I know outside of those, you know, few mellow years and, and the team wasn't even that good then and all they did, they maxed out by winning one first-round series. But, man, it's been over 20 years since those days in the 90s where the Knicks would regularly be in the second and third round and compete at a high level against these Miami freaking heat a lot of times. Well, that's why people should thank Patrick Ewing because he always made them a contender. And if the Knicks didn't win the championship, the the theme was, Patrick, how come you didn't win us a championship this year? Now everyone wants to, you know, take a bow if the team wins 40. You know, there was that stretch there with the one – you know, 41 games, everyone wanted to have a parade down Broadway. Fans I mean, are climbing light, and they're climbing light poles after a win in the first round. I'm like, you guys got to come back to me here. First round was like a bye in the 90s. First round, why, why waste <laughs> Knicks Cavs? I mean, give me a break. It's a three-game. Knicks Hornets, even with Morning and, and Johnson on the That's a sweep. I mean, a four-game series at most. If the Knicks lost a game in the first round, I was like, what the hell's wrong with this team? Unbelievable. Yeah, you- you got a good memory. You remember everything. Yeah. Well, Pretty good. Not as good as you, Frank, and I appreciate the time. We uh, it's, it's great catching up with you, as always, talking some hoops. We'll have you on at some point again, maybe next year, Frank. And one day, maybe, right. maybe can we hang out one day? I mean, what, what's going Steph, on? Call me. We, I'm always around. Yeah, right. You're always busy. Well, you, you got more jobs than I do. We'll call Taylor Rooks. We'll all go out. It'll be like an <laughs> SNY reunion. Uh, she's everywhere now. I, I didn't even get a return call on that one. Yeah, anyway, it worked out. It worked out for the best. Thank you, Frank. All right, Sal. Take care. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.